0: Welcome to Inspire Churches Podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at InspireChurches.com. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Philip. In an effort to continue to bring you God-honoring Biblically accurate content. I just want to take a moment to make a correction to today's message. During the sermon, you'll hear me reference the phrase divorced to the law. After reevaluating that phrase and thinking through it, um, I want to make it clear um, divorce was not the best word to use and is definitely not Paul's intention. I believe the better phrase would be dead to the law and married to Christ. Now I believe the message to be full of truth. I stand by its content and believe it to be very impactful, but I wanted to make this correction and I wanted you to have it settled in your heart and your mind before you dive in. So thank you again for all your support and we hope that the Lord uses this word to transform your heart. We have been traveling through Romans and it has been a long yet rewarding journey. And we are entering into a new chapter today. And so I think we were on chapter six for a couple of weeks now. And so we are entering into Romans chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there or your Bible apps. Also, if you don't, we will have something up here for you on the screen. But if you want to get there early and just keep your finger on it for a moment, that's fine. But Romans chapter seven, I'm coming off of a long week of mourning a football loss Uh, As you all know, I was really excited and petty last week, and I can just let you know that um, my pettiness was returned back to me all week, Um, especially by Raider fans, but you know, I understand. Um, I get it. I get it. Um, And so I'll take it like a man, and and I'll wear the loss. Uh, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about it, and if you're like, I didn't come here for that, well, it's too bad. It's part of my intro um just kidding. it's not but just to kind of get you guys going a little bit it took me about 3 days to listen to any type of sports uh I couldn't I still haven't listened to KMBR 957 I just I just haven't turned that on yet um I, I opened Twitter I think it was day 2 it's my morning process and uh anyways I've been processing but you know I think my wife will tell you I took it pretty good um anyways um any other 49er fans in this bill still faithful yeah still faithful right right great season amen um With that being said, um, I want to share where we've been in Romans the last several weeks. And, you know, the word of God is powerful and it's interconnected. And so a lot of times we tend to just pull out a verse. Like, oh, this is my verse. I'm going to live by this verse. Um, And God bless you for that. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that and memorizing a verse. But I want you to know that verse is part of a larger whole. Um, A verse is part of a chapter. A chapter is part of a book. And the entire Bible, 66 books are all woven together as a one story uh, about how God has loved us, how he has saved us and delivered us from our sin. And so the Bible's connected. And so it's always important as we move on to a new chapter to understand what has come before us and kind of understand the context of where we're going. But Uh, The first four chapters of Romans have really been about, and I've said this many times, the nuts and bolts of the gospel, just understanding what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, how does it work, and now Paul is transitioning to tell us how do we live that gospel out in our lives, How do we live that out practically? We know the gospel in theory. We understand how the gospel works. We understand how we got here. But how do we live that out? How does the gospel impact our lives so much so that we are living in love? How does it impact our lives so much so that we are walking away from sin? And this is kind of where we've been in the last few chapters, And I want to make this statement to you today and this is essentially summarizing what Paul has been telling us the last few weeks. If you're saved, those who have been justified by faith alone will not continue in sin. Paul says those who have been truly justified by faith alone will not continue in sin. Those who have looked at who have beheld and grasped the beauty of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, those who have truly gazed at that, those who have truly been profoundly impacted by that, will not and cannot ever go back. They are forever transformed and changed. And so therefore, if you have been justified by faith alone you will not continue in sin. Yeah. Paul spent all of chapter 6 explaining why that is. Why? Why would a person who's given their life to Jesus, why would they not continue in sin? And Paul says in verse 2, those who have put their faith in Christ, he says you've died to sin. You've died to sin. And so Paul says, how can you live and die to the same thing? You've died to sin. And then later in verse 16, he tells us, not only have you died to sin, but he uses another analogy. He says, those who have put their faith in Christ, you no longer serve sin as your master. But now Jesus is your master and you can't serve two masters. And after explaining why a believer should not continue in sin, Paul is now going to explain how. How is that possible? How is that possible? How is it possible to live in abounding grace and not take advantage of it and keep sinning? How is that possible? I mean, God's forgived me. He's he, he's once and for all been nailed to the cross, and I put my faith in him, and so my past, present, and future sins are all under the blood. And so, man, how is it possible to know that and not just say, well, I'm going to sin more then. I mean, after all, he's forgiven me. So I'm just going to keep sinning. In fact, there were some people, and we talked about this, who were antinomian, right? They were against the law, but they believed. And, and we talked about a, a, a philosopher named Sputin a few weeks ago they actually taught a heresy that said the more you sin the more you give glory to God and so he would say be an extraordinary sinner so God can get more glory so how is it possible to live in abounding grace and not take advantage of it how is it possible to live remember Paul says you're not under the law no more Christians you're not under the law But how is it possible, Paul, to live free from the law's demands and still remain obedient from the heart? What's the secret sauce? What restrains a believer? What holds them back from a lifestyle of sin? What is it? Maybe you're asking yourself that question today because maybe you are, you love Jesus. At least you think you do, but yet you live in continual sin. And so maybe your question is, well, well I get it in theory, but how, how How? does that happen? How does that work? And really, the, the real simple illustration and answer is marriage. And Paul's going to talk a little bit about that. And I want you to know that chapter 7, he will illustrate a marriage. But I want you to know chapter 7 is not about marriages. So don't leave here today and think, oh, man, I can get something out of this for marriage. That's not why Paul wrote this. And I'll explain that. You'll see why in a minute. Uh, But he says the answer is marriage. I want you guys to understand this. When you placed your faith in Jesus, in a way, you divorced the law and got remarried to Jesus. You divorced the law and got remarried to Jesus. Let, Let me put it like this. Imagine for a moment, as I was actually writing this out, I was thinking, oh gosh, I hope there's someone in this room that has to imagine this, because some of you might say, no, that's my reality, and I will pray for you, but imagine for a moment that you're married to a very demanding and critical spouse. It's so quiet in this room. This is an illustration, y'all, so don't tap your your spouse on this, okay? Imagine for one moment that you're married to a demanding and critical spouse. Imagine if all they do, all the time, all day long, 24-7, is put you down, point out your faults, and remind you of everything that you failed at. Imagine if they never encouraged you. Imagine if they never had anything good to say about you. All they do all the time is belittle you and focus on your mistakes. How would that make you feel about them? Paul says this that is exactly the kind of relationship an unbeliever has with the law of God. They hate the law. They want nothing to do with the law, yet they just can't seem to escape it. They hate it. They want nothing to do with it. They want to do the opposite of the law. Everywhere they go, they hate Christianity. They hate the Bible. They hate God in the way that he has revealed himself through Scripture. They want nothing to do with it. Because all it does is put them down, belittle them, and point out their faults. In fact... Paul would tell us the only way one could escape a marriage like this and, not, and marry another without being considered an adulterer in the eyes of the law is if somebody dies. Somebody dies. Now, I want you to know Paul's not advocating like to kill your spouses here, okay? <laughs> but he says, look, the only way that you could get out of this kind of marriage and remarry another in the eyes of the law and not be an adulterer is if the spouse dies. And so he's illustrating that when we placed our faith in Christ, a death occurred freeing us from the law and we were remarried to Jesus. And this is so important. Paul is not putting the law down because it really seems like man that spouse is really terrible. We are not antinomian. He's simply putting God's law in proper perspective. And I want you to note this. Here's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is simply to point out your sin. The purpose of the law is to point it out and expose it. The law is the key witness against all of humanity condemning us to death. Are you with me? that's the purpose of the law and here's the limitations of the law the law although it exposes your sin it has no power to save you from it and here's another thing are you ready for this and all of you are going to agree the law can't save you from your sin here's the other thing it can't keep you from sinning it can't keep you from sinning so this is critical Paul is not calling the law evil The law is not the problem. You are. And so the point is, we need something or someone greater than the law to keep us from sin. Remember, how can a Christian keep from living in sin? We need something or someone greater than the law. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word. God, we love you so much. We love you. Love is the word. We love you. Love is the motivating factor behind all we do. And so we honor you through your words. And I rest on your Holy Spirit knowing that the word that is preached can only germinate in the hearts and minds of those hearing if the Holy Spirit is causing that to take place. And so, Holy Spirit, I completely lean on you in this room to translate this word into every heart and every mind in this room, from those that have been saved for years and know all the scriptures to those maybe in this room who are new to this whole thing, Father. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember we talked about the duality of the last couple of chapters. I think it was chapter 5 where Paul talks about Adam and Christ. Uh, later on in chapter 6 he uses the two illustrations, the duality of life and death. You're dead to sin. You're alive to Christ. And he goes on to talk about master and slave. And today he'll talk about husband and wife. Reality is marriage. And so in Romans chapter 7 we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It's only six verses today. And then we're going to pause and we're going to just kind of go through that together. So if you have Have your Bibles, your apps. Now's the time to go back there. We'll also have it for you on the screens, but I would love for you to follow along. Romans chapter 7, and we are going to read verses 1 through 6. All right, y'all ready? Okay, ready or not, here I come. I'll wait for a couple of seconds here. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Amen. Let's do this. The Apostle Paul writes, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? And here's the illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man... She is not an adulteress. So that's the illustration. Now Paul's going to give you the application. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead. In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law... We're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now in chapter 7 alone, Paul refers to the law 23 times and eight times in these first six verses. Now as you can see, Paul is still dealing with how the law applies to the believer's life. And in a way, we could say that in Christ's death, we experienced a divorce, and in Christ's resurrection, we experienced a remarriage. Now let's talk about in Christ's death, we experienced a divorce. So What did our life look like prior to that divorce? We could say, we could say that we had an ugly marriage to God's law and a love affair with sin. Verse 5 describes three characteristics that defined the old life of a believer. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter to those who have put their faith in Jesus. And he's saying, this is how you used to live. And so in verse 5, Paul is going to describe to us three characteristics that defined the old life of a believer. Here is the first one. Paul says it this way. When you were a sinner, when you were not saved by grace, when you lived in your old life prior prior to knowing Jesus, he says this, we lived in the flesh. We lived in the flesh. And the Greek word there is sarx or flesh. Now, in some places, sarts or the flesh simply refers to the body, right? And nothing negative about the body. But in other places, Paul uses it to describe the fallen nature in us all that craves sin and denies the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now here... To live in the flesh, and we've been talking about remember last week we talked about the Greek word to live in or to continue in sin. Remember, that was a it was a really important thing because let me just say something. We are all followers of Christ, but no one in here in this, no one in this room is perfect. As long as you're in this sarks, this flesh, this fallen nature will still control you at times and you will sin. Paul says, I'm not talking to someone who occasionally fails. He says, he says this if you're justified by faith in Christ you won't epimone, you won't continue in, you won't reside in, you won't live in sin. So to live in the flesh means to be what? Continually controlled by your sinful appetites. And can I just say this? Because I know a lot of us, we are great self-justifiers, right? I want you to tell you, there are sins of commission which is where everyone goes, sins that you do, and then sins of omission, which means disobedience is where you haven't said yes to the place that the Lord is telling you to go. And so there are some of us have been in this room for a very long time, and the Lord has been saying something to you, but you have been living in continual habitual rebellion by omitting what God wants you to do next. Are you with me on that? Don't worry, I'm going to preach the gospel at the end of this. I'm not going to just cut you all day long, okay? Thank God for the gospel, right? Because the the word just cuts you, but I'm telling you, Jesus is good. Like, surgery is good, amen? Okay, I felt like I need to say that. You're welcome. I kind of want to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail, just kind of a teaching really quickly. There actually was a heresy, and we talked about antinomianism a few weeks ago. There was another heresy that was circulating in early church, and many of you might know this. It was called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism taught that the physical world was evil. Right, we're talking about the flesh, remember? Remember Paul uses the flesh in two different ways. He uses the flesh as just your body, and he doesn't say anything negative about it. But then he'll also use the flesh as that fallen nature inside of us that craves sin. Are you with me? Now, I want you to know there was a heresy called Gnosticism, and they believed that everything physical and material was evil. And because it was evil, then it must be outright rejected. I want you to know, Paul wasn't teaching this. Do you hear me? The biblical worldview admits creation has been what? Corrupted by sin, but it was made good. As a result, the physical realm is not to be rejected, but it will one day be redeemed. Amen? Amen. That's really important for us as Christians. A lot of us think that, you know, we're going to go to heaven one day and live there, and we're just going to be this, like, ether transcending nothingness beings that are just kind of these sparks, right? That'll be more Gnosticism than anything else. I want you to know that your body will be redeemed. I want you to know that this heaven and earth will be redeemed. It will be made new, and we will interact and live in a time and a place together in the same way we are doing now, but we'll do it with an entire world that is no longer corrupted by sin, a body no longer corrupted by sin, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So Paul is not saying that all physical things are evil. Are you with me on that? I just want to make sure we noted that. Now, before we placed our faith in Jesus, Paul says you were living comfortably in your sin, or maybe uncomfortably. But before you placed your faith in Jesus, you were residing in, continuing in, and living in sin. The second characteristic of our lives before we trusted Jesus is this. We didn't just live in sin, but we were passionate sinners. Like We were really good at it. We're passionate sinners, right? And, and the word for passion has always been so intriguing to me, and I remember kind of just looking at the definition of it, and this is in the English definition. You don't need to be a Greek scholar to know any of this, because I am by far am not, but passion just simply means to suffer. Suffer. What does that mean? To be passionate about something is to be willing to suffer for it. You see, when we lived in the flesh, the consequences of our sin that didn't stop us from sinning. Like some of y'all, like there's consequences for some of the things you do, but it ain't stopping you from doing it. You wake up in the next day, right? I ain't gonna say anything, but you wake up and you're just like, oh my goodness. But it doesn't stop you. And so you're loving something. You're addicted to something. You're passionate about something. Even though you suffer for it, you're still willing to do it. And so to be passionate about something is to be willing to suffer for it. That's why it's called the passion of the Christ. You ever seen that movie? His passion or his suffering. You see, when we lived... In sin, we were willing to harm ourselves and others to satisfy our own sinful pleasures. Right? It was all about satisfaction. Now, just a little discipleship challenge in the room and Somebody told me, I think it was Brian and I were talking a little bit, and says you know, if we ever get a church building, we're just going to put seatbelts, we're just going to equip them on all the, and I thought, you know what, we'll also put little seatbelt lights that just come on, like the airplane. For those of you who've been here for a while, you know, I just, you know, whenever I'm going to kind of get hard, and I tend to do that sometimes, the seatbelt lights go on, just know it's going to get a little bumpy. Um, Just like, anyway. Um, Here's a discipleship challenge. Passion means to suffer. Let me ask you this question. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What, what are you willing to suffer for? And when it comes to those desires, when it comes to motivations and personal ambitions, let me just ask you this question. Why are we so willing to suffer for those things that advance us and maybe so unwilling to suffer for the things of God? All of us, including myself, okay? Okay. I put myself, in fact, if I could just jump down here so I could, look all of us, like we are all so willing to, and, and there, let me just say this. Here's idolatry. Idolatry is good things that we put over God. And so there are some good things in here that you have desires for right? There's nothing wrong with career advancement, right? There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. There's nothing wrong, but why is it that we as a people, we tend to place the pursuits of those things, even body. We will be so disciplined. I always say this with this church because there's so many of us in this room, including me, we're dieting, we're working out, we're doing all these things. We'll wake up really early. We are willing to suffer, You know what we're willing to do? We're willing to lose sleep so that our body will look better. Yet at the same time, we overlook spiritual disciplines. And I don't want to be a legalist, religious. I just want to say idolatry is real. And you have to ask yourself, why am I willing to suffer for those things that will advance myself, but I'm unwilling to suffer for those things that will advance Christ? And so I'm staying down here because I'm with you on this, right? Because there's a guy that stands on a pulpit and you can say that to him, but I'm with you on this. This is a constant question that I will ask until I die. And I want to say this. If you're a follower of Christ, you will always fall into moments and seasons where you recognize you are suffering for the wrong things. You're worshiping the wrong things. And so you make course corrections, amen? Amen. So what are you passionate about? And let me just say this. Maybe it's not a bad thing that you're passionate about that. But maybe it is a bad thing that you're more passionate about that than your own growth in Christ. Maybe. I don't know. Let that sit. You just take that home, okay? Someone living in the flesh is characterized by a willingness to sacrifice for those things that please themselves. Someone living for Christ is characterized by a willingness to sacrifice for those things that please God. What are you passionate about? Third. Third characterization of, of how we lived before we met Jesus. Paul says this, before we trusted Christ, our sins were aroused by the law. Isn't that crazy? Our sins were aroused by the law. Right? Have you ever heard somebody say, like, rules were made to be broken? No? All right. Look, because we hated God's law, the law actually did the opposite thing. It it aroused means it stirred up sin. It caused us to desire it even more. Like if sin is fire, then the law is oxygen. Oxygen right there's nothing wrong with oxygen we need oxygen but you put fire and oxygen together and the fire burns the fire burns more dangerously it gets larger and bigger and that's what the law did we are rebellious in our hearts right there's some of us in this room we hate authority and so anybody anytime somebody tells you you can't guess what you're gonna do it you're gonna do it you're gonna do it right Don't think of purple, polka-dotted hippopotamuses, right? Like, immediately, you're thinking of that, right? Don't think of this, and you start thinking of it. Like, the minute you hear, don't. Just the the rebellious, sinful, just can't help it. Like, ah, you know? Like, I just, I'm thinking about it. Okay, maybe that might be a little rough, but you have children, anybody, right? It's like you, I almost, you know, I don't want to do this because I know this isn't right, but I almost want to experiment. Maybe I'll raise my child to say, you know, do all the wrong things and maybe they'll be rebellious to me and do all the right things. No, don't do it. There's some parents here like, oh, millennial parents here like, yeah, that's a great idea, Pastor Phil. Millennials hate me. I'm with you. I'm like, I got, I'm on, I'm, I'm right. I'm a bridge. I'm a bridge. 1981. Look it up. come on 38 all right here we go back to this back to this back to this but you get this idea that actually the law arouses sin it stirs it up so when the law said thou shalt not you said oh yes i will (laughs) yes i will and all the moms and dads in the building you see that your own child, and then the Lord's saying, "I see, there's an analogy for you. <laughs> we were rebels, weren't we? We're haters of authority. In an effort to become masters of our own lives, we denied God his rightful place, and we pleased ourselves. We pleased our flesh. So this is key. The combination between our sin nature and God's law was and still is a deadly combo. Why? Why is that true? Well, to try and become holy by obeying the law is an impossible endeavor. Can I say that again? There are many of you in here, you're realizing and you're saying to yourself, well, maybe I'm not saved. Like there's many of us in here, you, we've gone to church for a long time, And as Philip's preaching, and you're realizing there's a lot of things that I'm still in love with, not in cry, like, oh my goodness, like, I thought I said the prayer, I repeated the prayer, I I did it word for word, I felt like I meant it from my heart, the music was just right, the lighting was just right, I cried a little bit. But wait, wait why, why have I still walked away from sin? Like, I know I'm not supposed to be perfect, but why am I still bound? Like, why hasn't my heart been regenerated? Well, the reality of this is the reality. I'm not going to judge your salvation, but I'm going to say that the fruit of or the evidence looks like you have not put your trust in Christ. You know what probably happened? If that's you in this room, here's what probably happened. Yes, you loved Jesus, but you started to think that your sanctification was going to happen by being obedient to his law. And so you remarried the thing that you were supposed to be divorced from. Are you with me? And here's what the Apostle Paul says. You will be one frustrated, angry, and ultimately you will walk away from this thing. Because it doesn't work if you look at it as just a program of cleaning up your behavior. Some sort of moral program. This is why we needed to find a way to be set free from the frustrations of the law in order that we may what, truly obey from the heart with joy. How much easier is it to obey if you desire to obey? How much is it easier to obey if that is your joy? If, if that is your desire? If you love obedience, if you, if you think that obedience is beautiful and right and good how much easier is it to obey in christ's death we divorce the law and then christ and then paul points out but we divorce the law so that we can be married to jesus in christ's resurrection we experience the remarriage God made a way for us to, you. are you ready for this? Joyfully follow him and gladly obey his word from the heart. If verse 5 described what life was like married to the law, then verse 4 describes what life is like married to Jesus. Number one, first, Jesus is the husband who willfully lays down his life. Now, I know men in this room, it's difficult to think of Jesus as a spouse or a husband. No? All right. We're right into this. Good for you. But maybe for some of us, it might be difficult to see him as a spouse. Yet, the scripture paints the picture of the communion between Christ and his church as husband and wife. Jesus is the husband who willfully laid down his life. Paul says we died to the law through the body of Christ. If you place your faith in Jesus, then what is true of him is also true of you. In him we die to the impossible demands of the law in him we die to the tormenting frustration of trying to be good enough in him we die to the anxiety of striving to meet impossible standards this is what makes Christ such a perfect husband are you ready on the cross he took upon himself all of our punishment and presented back to us as a free gift all of his righteousness i think we need to camp there on the cross jesus christ took upon himself all of our punishment and presented back to us as a free gift all of his righteousness what a beautiful exchange when we hear that word, beautiful exchange, that's what it is. It's an exchange. Jesus takes all of your punishment, and Jesus gives you all of his rewards. Jesus takes all of your sin, and Jesus gives you all of his righteousness. Beautiful. Thank you. Jesus is the husband who willfully laid down his life. Next. Jesus is the husband who willfully laid down his life so that we could be joined to him. Paul tells us that Jesus died so that we may belong to another. Can I just say this? Christ's death wasn't just a divorce but it was also a proposal to a much more loving capable husband. Don't get it twisted everybody. You weren't freed to shack up with whoever you want. Like Christ didn't die to divorce you from the law so that you can go and have more lovers. But that's what it looks like when we're antinomian. That's what it looks like when we say we believe Christ, but we sin. We look at his death and we say that he he released us from the law. And so we acknowledge the divorce, but then we said, now I can go and shack up with anybody that I please. That is not why Christ died. He died to divorce you from the law. But he died because he proposed to you so that you would, what, remarry him. Are you with me? Christ died. I love this. Christ, actually, he didn't die so that we could leave the law and love sin. He died so that we could leave the law and love him. Amen? Simple, simple, simple. simple. I, I, you know, preaching sometimes, you, you try to overdo it. And, and, and someone says, hey, it's better to be, it's better to be clear than clever. In Christ, we became lovers, not lawyers. Isn't that cool? <laughs> right? What's a lawyer? A lawyer is an expert of the law, right? A lawyer goes all these years in school and, and investment and, of time and money so that they become experts of the law. In Christ, we became lovers, not lawyers. This means that our expertise is not in the law but in Jesus. We spend time with him we study his words and imitate his life not out of a sense of moral obligation because he is our supreme treasure and we are his bride that's why we do it you hear that word because because we are his because because means our motivation why do i do this what motivates me what motivates me towards obedience it is not moral obligation it is because he is our supreme treasure And we are his bride. Finally, Jesus is the husband who willfully laid down his life so that we could be joined to him. And from that union, here it is, produce the kind of fruit that leads to eternal life. That's what Paul says. Paul says, in order that. And I don't want to skip over that simple phrase. The phrase, in order that, lets us know that what is about to follow is the ultimate goal. In order that, like this happened, so that or in order that this may take place. So, what is the in order that? So, that what is the ultimate goal of our life in union with Christ? What is it? What is the ultimate goal in our marriage with Jesus? He says, In order that we may, here it is, bear fruit for God. Plot twist. Crazy, ironic, mind-blowing, all of those cool things. Christ died to free us from the law and marry us to himself so that we could actually become obedient from the heart. Neck, isn't that a, do you see how that worked? Little, Christ died to divorce us from the law so that we could remarry him so that we become obedient from the heart. From the heart. Invite the team to come forward. So here's the million-dollar question. Here's the million-dollar question. How does a believer, how does a believer willfully leave behind a lifestyle of sin? I know there's a lot of movement going on, but this is, this is it. Stay with me here. How, 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 how does a believer willfully leave a lifestyle of sin? That's the million dollar question. Right? Not only that, how do I willfully leave a lifestyle of sin and become, ready, joyfully obedient to Christ from the heart? You, you ever seen um, the opposite of joyful obedience? Like you ever... See, like someone begrudgingly do something like, you know, chores, right? I, I typically take out the trash, but every once in a while, right, that's just a begrudgingly thing, you know what I mean? Just kind of, right? I mean, you know, it's not kicking and screaming, right? It's not Christ dragging you across the finish line, and you running to everything else, and him, he's got you by your legs, and do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not you throwing a fit and going crazy. It is you lovingly, willfully, joyfully following him. How does that happen? You ready for the secret sauce? Here it is. Paul gives us two answers that are really one and the same. He says this, in Christ we become motivated by love and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the secret sauce. Motivated by love And empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do I do this? How do I walk this life? How do I leave sin and love God? Like what's the secret sauce? Well you take a little love motivation. And you take a Holy Spirit. And you put that together. And that just kind of bubbles up in your life. And it begins to produce inside of you a willful, joyful desire to obey. I love what pastor and theologian John Piper said. He said this, saving faith is not believing in something you do not like. (laughs) It's not believing in a person you don't cherish, you don't love, you don't treasure. Saving faith is believing in and receiving something you treasure. Otherwise, it does not save Otherwise, it doesn't save. It doesn't save. If it's not your treasure, if it's not your joy, if it's not your desire, it doesn't save. It is just moralism. And moralism is nothing but a cover-up. I want to finish with a parable that Jesus told from Matthew 13, 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And this treasure was hidden in a field. And a man found it and covered it up. I love this part. Then, are you ready? In his joy, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who's in a field, who finds a treasure, buries it up, and then in joy sells all that he has so that he can go and buy the field. What a powerful portrait of the beauty of Jesus, the glory of the gospel, and the call to discipleship. Who in the right mind would do such a thing? Like what could possibly motivate somebody to give it all away? And I love this. The man in this story doesn't give it away reluctantly. He doesn't give it away with uncertainty. But Jesus says in his joy he sold it all. In his joy. It wasn't reluctance. It was like, oh, I guess I got to give you this, God. I guess I got to give this to you now, Jesus. Like, I I guess I got to give you. No, there was joy. Like, I can't wait to give it away. I can't wait to sell it. I can't wait. I have a joy. How in the world could somebody give it all away and have joy in giving it all away? Because he found something better. (laughs) <laughs> he found something more valuable. He found something greater, more desirable. The beauty of the gospel cannot leave you unchanged, otherwise you're unmarried. You hear me? The beauty of the gospel cannot leave you unchanged, otherwise you are unmarried. Jesus cannot and will not be your husband while you still love the world cannot will be your husband cannot will not be your husband while you still love the world more than him and when I say the world I don't mean we are called to love people don't get me wrong but I mean the the things of this world remember last week we talked about we talked about the idols of our culture we talked about sex we talked about notoriety we talked about success Right we talked these are the things that we they're not necessarily bad in the right context but we willfully bow our knee to them and worship in disobedience to the Lord Jesus cannot will not be your husband while you're married to those things and you love them more than him You know it's another thing I actually didn't include it last week I thought about it this week and really was a fleeting thought but I really, I do want to share it right now. In the Bay Area, you want to know what an idol here is? It's comfort. It's comfort. And some of us are financially uncomfortable. Right? And so there's this pressure and there's need to succeed. And then there's this look that you want to have. Right? And you're in the Bay and you have all these tensions. What am I going to do? Where am I going to live? Right? It's comfort. It's comfort. And I get it. And I understand. It's, and, and, and the Lord is... I, he understands, but I want you to know that that becomes an idol when those things keep you up, when those things are your top pursuit, and Jesus comes last. Come on, Barry, your folks. I know we're talking in here. It's an idol, it's a worry and anxiety. And Jesus looks at you and says, Don't you know? Don't you know who I feed and who I clothe? Why, why do you worry remember Jesus is the husband who willfully laid down his life so that we could be joined to him and from that union produce the kind of fruit that leads to eternal life stop looking at the law and start looking at him amen let's worship and then I'm going to finish in prayer And in this worship, can I just say this? Can we stop looking at the law and just start worshiping and looking at the beauty of our Savior? So I promise you I preach the gospel to you. I don't want to leave you hanging on moralism. Because there's a possibility that some of us might be feeling beat up in this room or feeling like we failed. and, And that's the law's job. The law does point out and expose sin. But the beauty of the gospel is this. That In the the death of Jesus Christ, he took on the full punishment of our sins so that you don't have to take it. And you're beating yourself up and you're punishing yourself up when Christ took it for you. And then here's what he did. He he exchanged. He gave you his righteousness so that you can now live freely, willfully, willfully, lovingly towards him. So if you're in this room today, you feel deeply distant from the Lord or if you feel in any type of way any confusion in your heart regarding your salvation, the goal isn't to walk out of here and then to start focusing on all the things that you need to change because you would just be coming underneath the marriage of the law again, and it'll never work. It'll never work. It'll never work. The goal is to marry Jesus, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. You you don't want to change your form of slavery. You need to change your master. You're not going to wake up and want to read the Bible all of a sudden. You may do it for a little bit. You might download the Bible app, but a couple of months after, it'll, it'll just go to. So the way, what, it's desire, it's love. And so here's what I want you to do. Turn your tension away from your sin and turn it on Christ and the cross. I want you to repent. Because we need to repent. I want you to expose. I want you to be ever aware and present of your failures. And I want you to give it to Christ. And I want you to acknowledge that he has not been Lord of your life. That you have been worshiping and loving other things more than him. Do that. But then don't sit in that and stay there. Once you've given that to him. Then I want you to acknowledge him as rightful husband and Lord. And see how good he is. And how wonderful he is. And how he has given to you his righteousness. And then stare at that. But Phil, at what point do I move on from that? No, no, no. You never stop staring. What point do I start gazing at my behavior? No, no, no. You always gaze at the cross. That is the secret sauce to righteousness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because you can't do it alone. Motivated by the love of God. Displayed by the cross. You, can, you too can walk and live freedom from sin. And in joyful obedience to Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you we're so thankful you've made a way jesus if it wasn't for you and your cross we would be stuck with moralism as our savior behavioral management as our savior and it is not and so jesus we we love you we are no longer married to a list of rules but we are married to jesus christ And we walk in that and we allow that to fuel and motivate our obedience. Be with us, keep us, watch us, guide us. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to talk about it this week. We have connect groups throughout the week. You can head to our website and find out a city near you or a night that works for you. And we're going to sit in circles, and we're going to take the word on Sundays, and we're going to talk about it. And I want to tell you, sometimes Sundays is not enough. Actually, all the time it is. It's good. We talk about it. And we sit around with other believers, and we have a good time doing it. And so there's some questions. I'm going to read them off to you, and then I'm going to dismiss you. Some of the things that we're going to discuss in our groups this week, and for those of you that are in groups, I know you love getting it early so you can kind of pray and prepare for it. I know my wife and I, one of the things that we do on our way to Connects, we just begin to answer the questions together that we've been thinking throughout the day. And so um, it's just a wonderful time. But number one discuss discuss. Discuss the frustrations that come from trying to find sanctification through the law. Discuss the frustrations that come from trying to find sanctification through the law. Why are we so prone to look at the law, not to Jesus? Recall a time in your faith journey when it was all about keeping the law. How did it make you feel? Then the second question is this. Well, that's a lot of questions in the first question, but you guys, that's how I preach too. Point one, and then I go on. The second is this, discuss how the gospel has changed the way you see obedience. What has divorcing the law and marrying Jesus done for your spiritual walk? How has loving Jesus empowered you to walk away from sin? I'm going to talk about that this week and so much more. You're welcome to join us at any one of our homes. We love you. We bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday, we'll see you again.